save people, serve people. And I am privileged to be sitting with Jonathan Hutchinson right now. He and his wife, Rochelle, are a part of our church family. And we're just going to talk together about serving a little bit. Tell us about your three kids. Yeah, so I have uh, three children, uh, two boys and one girl. Uh, Malachi, Matthias, and Mercedes. They are six. Uh, Matthias will be three here right away, and Mercedes is seven months. And the oldest one is off to school. He is, yeah, just started grade one um, this year, I guess September, and so yeah, very, Neat. very excited. Hey, how long have you been a Christian, Jonathan? Tell us about that journey a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in church my whole life. I was born and raised in a, I guess you could say a Christian home, but um, so I actually officially gave my life to Christ when I was about 13 years old. And uh, since then, I've been serving in church and attending church. Um, of course, everyone's journey is different. And mine has been, uh, has its ups and downs too, which is normal. Um, but it's been, it's been good. So you're part of that 94% who came to Christ before the age of 18. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about that a little bit around here. Mm -hmm. So I am sure since the age of 13, you've heard a little bit about Christians need to serve. What's your journey been there? So, I mean, I've been um, serving in church, I guess, since earlier than 13. I started off doing the... Uh, Back then it was OHPs, I guess, the um, overhead projector stuff and it was oh, yeah. for song ministry and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, from an early age, mom always encouraged us, me and my siblings, to be involved uh, musically in church. So that's where it started. Serving in church has been a really important part of my journey, simply because times when I was, say, younger and could have been doing something else, whether it was that's partying or um, maybe just hanging out and playing more video games, I was actually in a service because I had a responsibility to be there. Oftentimes when I didn't want to show up, I did anyway. And in doing so, I remember so many times where I would come in and be behind the organ and just actually hear someone say something or do something that really blessed me. And, I, and for that week in particular, allowed me to carry on and actually build me up my walk with God and encourage me a lot. And so serving in church to me has always been a really important. Wow. And, and, and I, I, I like what you said there. Even as a young guy, even before you made this firm commitment to follow Christ, yeah. you were involved. Yeah. And I just want to say this to, to our church. We want the next generation involved. We don't want to be a church where you have to be 21 years of age or 25 years of age to, mm -hmm. to participate. We need you. We want you. You matter a lot to us. We want the contributions you can bring, uh, whether it's in, in worship or helping with our children's. Get on a Connect card today and say, yeah. I am willing to serve. Absolutely. Uh, how would you challenge people in service, Jonathan? We all kind of think we don't have much offer sometimes, and sometimes we have a lot more than we realize. And I would just encourage everyone, regardless of what you might think you have to offer or not, um, God's really given us all a gift or gifts, some more than others, some to different measures, but the reality is we all have something to give. And I would really encourage you to um, think about what that is. For some of us, we don't actually know what that is, and we're probably curious and wanting to get involved. I would highly recommend just talking to um, a leader or someone at the church and filling out a card and just getting involved in whatever capacity that is and seeing where you land. You may start off in one area and then find you're actually really passionate about something else. Um, regardless of what that is, I genuinely believe that we all have something to give that God's given us and we should um, feel joy in giving that back and just being in God's house and serving that way. So I would encourage you to get involved in whatever that looks like. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. 
Uh, yeah, so you just got some good advice from a good brother. So follow up on it. Save yeah. people, serve people. Uh, let's make that part of who we are at the neighborhood. We're in the second message of our series, Save People, Serve People. And so I'm just going to jump right into it. He set me up great there. So um, I'm going to start just by talking about maybe some of the reasons why we don't serve. Um, and this is something I was thinking about this past week. I did some research on it. And there's probably 25 things I can name, but we'll keep it to five or six. But some of the reasons why we don't serve is perhaps you don't feel needed. Um, Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe that's been your church experience, and if that has been, I apologize to you and uh, would like you to know that we need you and we want you to be a part of our teams here at the Neighborhood Church. Um, sometimes, and John alluded to this, this is idea of not feeling qualified and not feeling like you have anything to offer. We're going to talk about that tonight. Sometimes it's just this idea of commitment, and I've talked about this before. Um, it's one thing to help if you're asked in the moment. It's another thing to have to, you know, set aside an hour or two throughout your week to commit to something, um, because we're all busy, and we all have a lot happening in our lives. And so sometimes it's the commitment part that uh, kind of scares us away. Uh, sometimes you find it difficult to get involved, and... Uh, you maybe don't even know how to start to get involved in a church community. And throughout the next few weeks, we want to make that very clear and very easy for everyone to get involved here at the Neighborhood Church. Perhaps you had a past experience gone wrong, and I sympathize with you if you find yourself in this camp. Maybe you've uh, put yourself out there before, and the experience was just so negative that it's been difficult for you to jump back into serving and being a part of a team. And uh, maybe you do need a little time off, and I completely understand that. Um, if that little bit of time turns into six years, we might have to have a conversation, right, about maybe jumping back into things. But obviously, our hearts go out to you if you've had that past experience gone wrong. But sometimes, maybe the reason we don't serve is because consuming is easier, uh, think about that. You see, our world teaches us, it screams to us, look out for you. Get what's yours. Do what makes life easier for you. And sometimes it's just easier to be a consumer rather than be a contributor. And so with that in mind, I'd like us to look at scripture tonight. Um, whenever I hear the topic of serving coming up, my mind immediately goes to this scene at the Last Supper where Jesus is eating um, a final meal with his disciples, and he completely changes the mood and expectations of those in the room that evening as he gets down on the ground and assumes the lowly position of washing the feet of his disciples. And this was met with resistance. They couldn't fathom the fact that the Son of God would dare do this, that, that he would think that he was the one who had to do this. Um, they knew who he was. They believed he was the Messiah. And so the idea of him bowing down and washing their feet, the idea was so uh, outrageous and scandalous to them. Uh, they thought that if anyone should be washing anyone's feet, we should be washing his. In their minds, they really needed to be washing his. And in John chapter 13, we read this. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And so this is a moment where Jesus starts to do something and the disciples are, are just, they, they cannot believe what's happening. 
Um, how many of you watch TV? Any TV fans here? Okay. I'm not a huge TV fan. I don't say that like some judgmental, you watch TV. That's not how I'm saying it. Okay. Um, I'm more of a music guy. So I'd rather just put a record on and grab a book and sit around and do that for four hours and still waste my time. Right. But uh, <laughs> some of us love TV and the odd time I do like watching a TV show or movie or two, but I got to tell you, the favorite, my favorite kinds of movies and my favorite kinds of TV shows are the ones that kind of leave you on a cliffhanger, okay? I love that ending that doesn't make sense. I like that ending that you didn't see coming. I like that ending that doesn't answer the questions you want answered, okay? I'm that person who loves it when you're shocked and you're left there and you don't know what to make of it. Those are the kind of shows that I like to watch. Now in TV, that is fine and dandy, and I'm good with that. But when it comes to real life and having to experience that and having to, to, to deal with that, it's quite another story, isn't it, right? It's a whole another ball of wax. And that's precisely, I think, what happens here as Jesus begins to watch the feet of his disciples. He's displaying humility, love, and most of all, he's modeling the example that he wanted to leave with them with those who would follow him. And that is, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it begins not with having power and having other people serve you, but with serving those around you. You see, Jesus said it like this. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And Jesus came to establish a kingdom that was upside down, a kingdom that was not like the kingdoms of the earth, but a kingdom that didn't measure success by power, but that measured success by laying your life down and serving other people. And so it should be no surprise to us that this kind of living isn't something that's always celebrated in the culture we live in today. It isn't something that always appears desirable to us. It's not something that always comes naturally, if I could say it like that. If we want to follow the example of Christ, we probably need to be intentional about it, purposeful when it comes to serving those around us. I like how Erwin McManus, uh, pastor and teacher and author in L.A., pastors at a church called Mosaic, um, just on the next slide, says it like this. He says, there's something mystical about servanthood because God is a servant. When we serve others, we more fully reflect the image of God and our hearts begin to resonate with the heart of God. We may never be more like God than when we're serving from a purely selfless motivation. I like that. I like that idea that if we want to be like God, if we want to become Christ-like, in that moment we're most like that is probably when we're serving others and serving him. Amen? In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And see, Jesus was the ultimate example of coming down to the earth, emptying himself, taking the nature of a servant, if Jesus came not to be served but to serve, then how does that affect how those who follow him need to live? And so if Jesus, being the Son of God, came to serve, then his followers are probably called to nothing less but to also serve as well. 
And so today, with all this in mind, I want us to look quickly at a couple stories in the Gospel of Matthew that are really side by side. And I think they teach us something that will be helpful to us as we seek to, 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 to follow Christ in this area of serving. And so in Matthew 14, in verse 15 and 17, we read this. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So here we have Jesus posing a thought that I think each one of us can relate to when it comes to getting out of our comfort zones from time to time. See, there's, this is a moment where there's a clear need in front of you, and there's 5,000 people who need something to, to eat. There's a clear need in front of you, and God asks them to be a part of it here. And sometimes when God does that, our quick reply is something like this, no, 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 I can't meet that need. Um, couldn't you send someone more qualified to do this? Or even better, what if I just pray about it for a while? Okay, and, you know, six months later, you're still praying about it, right? And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And sometimes we start making excuses and we have to recognize that there'll be time in our Christian journeys where we just can't avoid any longer and God will call each and every one of us to be a part of something. Have you ever felt that you were in a tug of war with God about whether you were or weren't going to do something? You can answer that in your heart. You know he's speaking to you, but you look at all the reasons why, just like Jonathan said in the video, that this can't be the, the case. Clearly, he's not asking me to do that or me to be a part of that. And so here's a scene where the disciples are facing such a moment. It's nighttime. Everyone's tired and the crowds are still present. The disciples are thinking, you know, we've got to send them away. They've got to get to the village. They've got to buy some food. And Jesus throws them for a loop and asks them the question, well, why don't you feed them? Why don't you get, give them something to eat? And in verse 17, we see their answer. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answer. And there's more than 5,000 people present. You see, their answer to this request is seen in their feelings of inadequacy to meet this need. It's clear in their words, we only have a little. Just a couple fish, just a few loaves of bread. We're limited. We're not prepared. We're not equipped. We are not the guys to be doing this. And can I pause here for a moment and ask us the question today, do we ever make similar excuses when God's nudging us to do something and asking us to step out and do something for him and even serve other people? Do we ever look at all the reasons why we can't instead of perhaps looking at how we can be a part of what he wants to do in this situation? You see, some of the reasons why we don't serve, um, I named a few at the beginning, but I'll say a few more. Sometimes we get this attitude where we feel inadequate and we really think we have nothing to offer. 
And so rather than get involved, we just kind of stand back and say, you know, someone else can take care of that. Maybe we're always waiting for the right conditions and for perfect conditions, okay? And everything has to line up. And if this just goes this way, and if I get this, and if they get that, and if all that comes together, then I'll step out and then I'll serve, and then I'll walk into that. But the problem with thinking that way is you're going to be likely waiting a long time. Because often when God asks us to do something, there's an element of faith involved, an element of stepping out in faith. Another reason why we don't serve is it's scary to put yourself out there. It's risky. Sometimes we just don't think we're needed or that there's a place for us. Sometimes we get this idea in our head that there's these super Christians who have like 25 different gifts and, you know, God just use them because you seem to have given them everything. And it's easy to come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons why we might not serve, but at the end of the day, Jesus asks us to look past all that, and let's carry on in the story. Here's how Jesus responds to them in verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. The disciples say to him, you know, Jesus, this is all we have. We have a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread. And Jesus says to them what I believe he says to all of us when we feel this way. And that's just this. Just bring me what you have. Just bring me what it is that you have. What's in your hand? What do you got? You see, and when we think through this, we often come up with excuses. And so let me just play out a few scenarios in my head here. What if we said something like, well, you know, I didn't finish college or I don't have that much education. And Jesus says, well, just, just bring me the college you do have or the education you do have. Bring that to me. But God, God, I hardly know the Bible. Well, just bring me what you know. But God, I'm so pressed for time these days. Well, just bring me the time that you do have, maybe an hour a week to start. But I lack so much experience, God. Just bring me the experience that you do have. But God, I'm feeling afraid, insecure to try to step into that. Well, Bring me that fear. Regardless of the limitation you see, please just bring me what you have. Bring that to me. You see, in those moments when we're desperate for excuses and we're struggling, and have you ever been there? Because I've been there lots in my life. Like when someone's, you know, working on a project at their home, right? And uh, you, you stop by to say, hey, and then they ask you, well, do you have an, do you have an hour to help me out here, right? And you're like just desperate for excuses, right? And you say something like, oh, you know, I got to give my cat a haircut today, right? And uh, you, you want to get out of that moment, right? I had to put that picture up there. It was just too good to, to leave out, okay? But the disciples found themselves in a moment where it made sense to send the crowds away so they can go get some food. And then Jesus has requested them, throws them for a loop. And he says, you feed them. How about you just bring me what you have today? And I wonder if he says the same thing to you and I today. You see, as we keep reading, we see that Jesus took what they had and he did an extraordinary thing through it in this story. Jesus took what they thought was little and insignificant and he makes something great out of it. And a great miracle happens. And many, many, many people were fed that day. And at the end of the day, the disciples simply did what they knew how to do trusting that Jesus would do something unusual. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus would do what only he can do. 
They did what they knew how to do, trusting that God would do what only he could do. And there's a principle for us, I think, in that today. And so when you feel that leading from God in your heart, saying, I want you to sign up for this, or I want you to talk to those people, or I want you to bring up this idea, or I want you to step out of your comfort zone and begin to serve here. And you immediately start coming up with all these excuses about why you can or can't do it or why you're not ready for it. We need to recognize that your responsibility and my responsibility every time God is speaking is real simple. You simply do what you know how to do and trust that your heavenly Father's going to do what he can do. Amen? God empowers our serving. God empowers the work that we do. We are not on our own when we serve. Bring to him what you have and trust that he can and will do something through it. You see, I think so often we turn our eyes towards our ability or our lack of sometimes when God's calling in, us into something. And it's never been so much about our ability. It's never been so much about us being able as much as it's been about us being available to whatever it is that God's asking us to do. See, the disciples really weren't able to do this. Uh, they just needed to be available to do it and allow God to work through them in it. And this is a pattern that we see as we read through the scriptures. God, I can't, but you can. You see, I think of Moses in Exodus 3, and God had these special plans for Moses' life. And he was supposed to go talk to Pharaoh, and Moses is just scared and says, God, you know, who am I? Who am I that I should go talk to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not qualified. I can't speak. I can't do this. I have no influence. Who am I, God? And I love how God answers him here in the next verse, what he says here to him. He doesn't even answer his question necessarily, but God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. I'll be with you. You see, who am I isn't necessarily the right question because what really matters is God's response that he's with us. You know, who am I isn't nearly as relevant as the fact as God promises to go with us. You see, as we continue to read in Matthew chapter 14, we notice quickly that Jesus had a specific agenda here. They're, they're the guys he, these are the guys he was going to hand the movement off to, okay? And he needed to teach them something about trust and that they can trust him. And in Matthew 14 and verse 22, it says immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And in verse 28 and 29, Peter has this moment of insight. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. You see, Peter had this moment of insight that if, if he invites me out, maybe I could walk out there and meet him. If he asks me, then 
perhaps I could do it despite my lack of ability. Maybe Jesus will help me in this. And to a great degree, I think this describes a lot of the Christian experience. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, God never desired for us just to remain comfortable, but he's called us into a new way of living that stretches us sometimes. Imagine praying that Peter prayer, Lord, invite me, please invite me to step out of my comfort zone. It's a tough prayer. It's a tough thought to have. God, I want, to, I want you to use me in your work in the lives of those around me. But I want the assurance that you are inviting me and that you are helping me in this. And so if you invite me, then I'm going to do what I can do, trusting that you can do what only you can do. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out into the water. And Jesus tells him to come. And for some of us today, we've already sensed God's invitation in our hearts to respond to something. For some of us, it involves taking a risk and stepping out. For some of us, it involves walking into something we're not overly familiar with. For some, it means beginning to volunteer um, in, in your local church community. For some, it means stepping out, praying for people, encouraging people, doing different things. But it all comes down to this. Will you do what you can do and trust that God will do what only he can do in you and through it all? You see, Jesus never asked us to be flawless. If that's what you think being a Christian is, well, I got bad news. We're never going to be that way, okay? But he asks us to be willing. Jesus doesn't demand perfection, but he loves our obedience. And in verse 30, it says, Peter then got out of the boat. He walked on the water. This is in the next slide. And came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And I think this describes our human nature perfectly. Sometimes when we get our eyes off of Christ, we see the wind, we see the waves, we're reminded of what we can't do. He began to sink, but Jesus wouldn't let him sink. Jesus actually holds him up here in this story. And then asks him why he's doubting. And I don't think, I don't see this as Jesus chastising Peter when I read through this portion. Peter gets a bad rap sometimes, but you know, he did a lot of amazing things. I don't see this as Jesus chastising him, but more like a parent who says, you know, you were so close. You almost had it. Why'd you take your eyes off of me and put them back on yourself and on the things around you? Why'd you take your eyes off of me and put them on the things that surround you? You see, it's kind of funny because in verse 33, they have this revelation, you know, that truly, Lord, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, that whole fish and... And bread thing, we had our suspicions then, right? But, you know, after seeing this, they're, 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 they're finally willing to admit it. Truly, you are the Son of God. And if you're here today, and if you've come to know Jesus as your Lord, and if you've attend this church, allow me to say this. I think it's fair to suggest that we're all here because of someone who rose up and said to themselves, I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm going to respond to God's invitation on my life. And I'm going to do what I feel you leading me to do, despite all my uncertainties and fears about it all. You see, anywhere that God is doing something or has done something, if you dig deep enough, you're going to find someone where, I think this is their story, where they didn't feel qualified. They'd never done that before. Probably fearful, to be honest. It's so tough to put myself out there. But it's a matter of obeying the leading of God. You know, they didn't know it all. They weren't super Christians, but they stepped out, and that was a starting point for them. 
And they trusted that if they, if they brought what they had to God, if they just brought what they had to God and did what they could, that he would step in and do that which they couldn't. And so my question is, is where's God nudging you? How, how has God been speaking to you over the years? What is the thing that he's placed on your heart and it just won't go away? No matter how hard you try, it just won't go away. You see, if you sense that God's spoken to you about ways in which you can serve and bless others, then my encouragement is that you need to step into that and do what you know how to do, knowing that he's there to help you in it. You see, consumer Christianity was never God's intention for us. It was never God's intention for us. The church isn't here simply to meet my needs or your needs. Now, what's great is that as you become a part of the church, you, you, you get blessed through this group of people. And you experience the blessing. But there's so much more to it. You see, our attitude when approaching church life can never simply be, what can I consume here? But rather, how can I contribute to the greater mission of the church because we're all a part of this and we all all have something to contribute and when we give of our time if when we give of our talents when we give of our treasures when we serve we actually begin to live out the great commandment that Jesus said and that's loving God and that's loving people you see Serving is an attitude towards God and an attitude towards others. When we serve others, we begin to take the focus off of just our wants and just our desires, and we move our attention onto God and to other people and their needs and the things we can bless them with. Serving actually frees me from the mentality that life's just about me. Serving frees us from the Western mindset that our Christian life is an individualistic way of thinking. But serving brings us back into what Christ desires for us, and that's community with others. Serving reminds us how important the world out there really is to Jesus. And most importantly, when we serve and give, it not only benefits us, but it benefits those in the community, and it connects us together. We serve because each of us has something to contribute, and the church needs your contribution. Are you with me? And so how can I take a talk like this and make it somewhat practical? Well, over the last few weeks, we're going to focus in on a couple of ministries that we have here in our church community. And tonight, I just want to take a couple more minutes just to talk about neighborhood groups really quick. You see, one of the best ways you can get connected here with other people is by joining a neighborhood group. And they all start in October for our semester this year. But Pastor John's always said this, and so if I get in trouble, I'm going to tell him he's the one who said it in the first place, okay? But if it really comes down to you having to choose one or the other, weekend attendance in church or a, community, or a neighborhood group attendance, we prefer you at both. But if it came down to it, the group will actually serve you better. The group will actually be the place where you can grow, get connected with people, and, and, and really just, I, I think, blossom in your relationship with Jesus. You see, neighborhood groups are a place that, that give three things. Number one, they give a place to connect. At neighborhood groups, you can connect with other people. Maybe you've always said, you know, I've been in church so long, I feel like I don't know anybody. Well, joining a neighborhood group will connect you with others. You see, you can't do life alone. Scripture makes it clear that we were never intended to do life alone but that we're supposed to encourage one another and spur each other on. And neighborhood groups really bring people together so that you can do life together. 
You see, I believe in a neighborhood group, um, you'll find a place to protect. And what do I mean by that? Well, in a neighborhood group, oftentimes, if you've ever wondered in life, well, who has my back and who's looking out for me? I find that that often begins to happen in these groups. I believe that, you know, when you're going through something, you have a group of people behind you who are thinking of you, who are praying for you, who are supporting you. In my last context, when I was pastoring in Winnipeg, I remember finding out about a gentleman in our church who got into a terrible snowmobile accident. He should have died. And I found out about it about four days after it happened. And I, I felt like, you know, I had ketchup on my shirt going to the hospital to see him because I should have been there quicker. And when I walked in there, I, I kind of went in there with like this attitude like, oh, man, I'm so sorry I got here so late. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, that's cool. My life group's been here almost every day since I've been in here. And I love stories like that. And I love hearing stories about people coming alongside others. Neighborhood groups are a way to connect, protect, but they're also a place where you grow and where you are discipled and where you discuss scripture and where you pray with each other. And when you disagree on things and where gray matters, you have to just love each other, as Pastor John, you know, greatly talked about in the month of August. They bring you together and you grow in your faith. In a neighborhood group, I believe you'll find meaning. I believe you'll find connection. And so I think for all of us, a good place for us to go this year, if we want to get to know people, if we want people who have our backs, if we want to connect with others and grow in our faith, I encourage you to sign up for a neighborhood group in a couple weeks when we do our launch. I believe all of us will be greatly benefited from being in a group. But here's another question I have for some of us today. And this speaks to some of you that maybe God's spoken to you about this in the past. Perhaps you just know you've been gifted with leading, right? You like to lead things. You like to connect with other people. The scriptures you're passionate about. You love to study the scriptures. You love digging into truth. You love helping others on their journey. I think there are, there are those of us here today where perhaps the question you need to consider is, can I lead or can I host a group this year? Can I walk out in that, maybe not feeling like I have it all, but trusting that God's going to empower it and do something through it, and step out and begin to lead or host a neighborhood group this year? And if that's you, I'd love to chat with you about that. And I think that's a practical way in which you can begin to use the giftings that God and the passions he's given you to serve others and love others. You see, maybe you've felt God nudging you towards this before. Maybe you've avoided it because of the extra time commitment. Perhaps it wasn't just made clear what's expected of you, but I promise that if you want to step into something like this this year, we'll answer those questions for you and communicate to you clearly. You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about our salvation. It talks about the grace that we've been saved through faith. That's not from ourselves, the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. And our salvation comes from nothing that we do. It's all of what he did. Amen? But I love verse 10. That says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, this really is the definition to save people, serve people here in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Each one of us has been saved, not simply just for the benefits of it, but we've been called to live out the works that God has already prepared for us to do. And he has plans for each one of us. Amen? Let me let Martin Luther King Jr. have the last word on serving tonight. He says this. He says, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. 
You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. If I can encourage you this evening, church, God has given you gifts. God's given each one of us talents, abilities, passions, and things that we can use, not simply to bury, but to put to use and to serve him, to love him, and to love others. And I just encourage you this year. We, we need you. We need you a part of the work in our community. Let me pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have uh, just blessed each person here, Lord God, with different talents and gifts and abilities. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts on where it is you're nudging us towards, what it is you'd like us to be a part of this year, where it is, Lord God, that we can make a difference, not for ourselves necessarily, Lord, but for you and for the kingdom. And so speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord that you've saved us, Lord God, that we didn't have to do anything for that, but also thank you that you've got good things for each and every one of us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.